So the graph you're seeing right now was first shown to me at a Zoom meeting of anxious pastors in March or April of 2020, just when the COVID shutdowns were started. None of us knew what to expect, but to provide some clarity, our bishop showed us this graph, which, was, which is used to train mental health and human service workers in disaster areas, what to expect during and after a disaster. And from my perspective, it was accurate. Early on, there was a time of heroic effort. People came together. People gave their time, their energy, their money to meet community needs. At Shalom, we saw a market, marked increase in giving during that time. It was totally unexpected. Uh, there was a honeymoon time of community cohesion. People worked together. Even though things were hard, there was a hope that maybe this wouldn't last too long, that maybe things would return to normal soon, but things didn't return to normal. Lockdowns dragged on, disagreements arose, tempers flared, masking became a tribal marker in many places. We didn't even begin to meet for worship here at Shalom until October of that year, and even then we stopped for a month when the cases began to rise again. And there were so many conspiracy theories out there during that time. So much disinformation, so much stuff out there that really tore at community cohesion. As, a, as the pandemic continued with no end in sight, many of us wondered, will we ever move on? Is this kind of what it's going to be like? It was more than disillusionment. It was a nationwide outbreak, outbreak I'd say, of post-traumatic stress disorder. You can put back the title screen now. We did move on, of course. Even though COVID is now endemic, few of us worry about it much. We're living in this new world together for better and for worse. We may be anxious about other threats, though. There are other places where chaos seems to rear its ugly head these days. The uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, the, the, the so-called doomsday clock is set to 1 minute 30 seconds to midnight. It's been there since 2023. It's the closest it's ever been since they started counting, since they started tracking worldwide existential threats in the 1940s. It is a scary place right now. But whatever happens, whatever happens, we can remember that God's people have been in scary places before. God's people have endured disasters and chaos before. In fact, we've been there repeatedly. One of the gifts we have from the scripture, and perhaps one of the greatest gifts we have, are these stories of disaster, of chaos, threatening to overwhelm everything, seeming to even put God's own promises in jeopardy. But we learn from these stories that God is faithful. God is faithful. God's people 
endured suffering and emerged on the other side. Remembering these stories has built resilience in God's people for millennia. This is the second in a seven-part series called Reconciling Hearts. And the thing about reconciling hearts is that they are also remembering hearts. Not remembering in the sense of holding on to a grudge or, or something from the past that we just keep dwelling about, which is something we're all prone to do, but it's a holy kind of remembrance. It's a remembrance that builds resilience, that builds our character in Jesus Christ. Reconciling resilient people remember the times that God's people were shown mercy. They remember when God made and kept promises. They remember when God's people found strength and blessing in the midst of suffering. And one of these stories is found in our reading today from Genesis. Noah and his family endured the ultimate disaster. It was the decreation of everything. The decreation of all that exists. The flood is not really about water, you see. The flood is about chaos. The flood is about chaos symbolized by water being permitted to overwhelm and destroy God's good creation. God permitted this, we're told, because God was deeply grieved about the violence and corruption on earth. If you want to ask me why, I don't know why. That's something for the mind of God. Yet God decides to save one family. We do know that. Noah's family. You see how that graph I showed you played out in the story. You can put it back up there again. Noah undertakes the heroic task of building an ark. Must have taken a while, he and his family. When he's finished, he's gathered all the animals. They're all shut safely inside. That might have been a brief honeymoon period. His work's done for the moment. But as the rains continued to fall and the fountains of the deep continued to open, it must have worn on a bit. Must have been monotonous, wearying, tedious. How much poop can a man be expected to shove? What's the scenery out the window? I don't know. Water! Nothing else! We've all seen the image in the nursery and many other nurseries, and, and we saw that when you brought up the ark, where you have the, they always have to have giraffes, lions, and elephants. Every single ark scene I've ever seen has to have giraffes, lions, and elephants. Uh, and maybe Noah on deck with the dove. Uh, the honey badger was a nice touch, though, I have to say. Uh, kids can imagine how much fun it must have been to be on the ark with all the animals. Woo, we're at sea, it's a cruise. No, not a cruise. Imagine Noah's conversation with Mrs. Noah. How was your day, dear? I shoveled half a ton of poop again. It must have been extraordinarily disillusioning. And perhaps, if I may be bold to say so, a disillusionment happens within God as well. After the waters recede, Noah, his family, and the animals disembark. And we're told that Noah made a sacrifice. God's response, 
I will never again curse the ground because of humans, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. We humans aren't evil, but for some reason our hearts incline that way. God makes a choice to accept God's good creation for what it is. Wiping the slate clean will not work. We're who God has to work with. God has chosen to work with sinful, flawed human beings like you and me. And at that moment, reconstruction begins. And we see the acceptance and the covenant he makes with every living thing in chapter 9. That's the reconstruction up there on that graph. And you can turn it back to the title slide now. That's perfect. Thank you. The covenant is more of a simple promise that, that's made, that, that God makes to know unto every creature. Thanks, Pastor Roll. The covenant is more of a simple promise. Uh, it's a promise to never again let chaos overwhelm creation. No matter how crazy it gets out there in the world, no matter how scared we may get, God will never, ever let chaos totally overwhelm the creation ever again. And when God sees the bow in the clouds, this is interesting, God himself will remember the promise. God will remember that God is reconciled with the creation. You notice that this is made repeatedly. Thank you, Carol. You'll notice that this is made repeatedly. This promise is made repeatedly. This is so we remember it. So we get this good news through our thick skulls and we hear the promise that God is faithful again and again and again. God is faithful. But this reconciliation does not mean divine or human passivity. It doesn't mean letting us go our own way. This is the other part of this wonderful news. God threw God's lot in with humanity for good. God became human in Jesus Christ. And the fruits of God's decision for reconciliation will be found in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus himself, we hear today, faced chaos in the desert, symbolized by Satan and the wild animals. He went out to face those anti-creation forces. Jesus himself underwent a kind of flood experience, a prelude to his ultimate con confrontation with chaos on the cross. He endured the chaos, endured its destruction, so that we could be a truly resilient people in his image, reconciled with God and with our neighbors. Sometimes we forget this, of course. But again, that's why we come here every week. That's why scripture can be so repetitive sometimes, as we heard in that first reading. Time and time again, the Holy Spirit leads us here to remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We come to remember the stories when God's people endured suffering and came out on the other side, thanks to the grace of God. We come to remember 
the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by hearing his word and receiving his body and blood. We come here to remember that we are never alone in our suffering, but are part of a global body of faith with Christ as our head. We are never alone. It's why we hear the same story of God's love over and over again. It's why we receive communion over and over again. By doing these things, by hearing, by eating, by drinking, we remember. We grow in resilience by remembering. And we are reconciled with God and with each other. Amen.